Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Time now for the Brian Barrett Show on EEI. All right, and we are with you until midnight. We'll get into the trading deadline with the Celtics in just a little bit here. And Tuca apparently not going to play anymore, which it's not going to hurt the team. That's for damn sure. But one other thing I just want to mention real quickly as it pertains to bringing back Joe Judge. And Paulie pointed out earlier about the fact that they don't have to pay him much. My issue is not with Joe Judge being back on the coaching staff. If you told me, hey, Joe Judge is going to be the special teams coordinator, fine. I'm good with that. But if he's in charge of the offense, that's where I have an issue. And... Paulie had mentioned the point about, well, you're not paying him much money, right? You're paying him peanuts. Well, now this is becoming sort of a trend with the Patriots, right? Think about it. The reason they bring in Brett Bielema is because he had this issue at the University of Arkansas. So you, you were really paying him nothing. You think about when you originally brought back Matt Patricia, not paying him much because Detroit's still paying the guy. And that would be the same thing about Joe Judge. And I just don't think that's a good way to do business by saying, oh, we can get these guys for cheap, then let's bring them back. That, to me, doesn't work. You need to find somebody that can help change this offense a bit, that can have new eyeballs on the offense. That's my biggest thing. I wanted somebody that has never been part of the Belichick coaching tree, with the exception of O'Brien. I would have been fine with O'Brien because he's been in like 18 different places, and he's succeeded. I mean, think about where the Texans are at right now as an organization. O'Brien won four division titles with that team, okay? And I know his personality ruffles some people the wrong way, but at least he has a reason to act that way. Joe Judge has no reason to act that way. The dude was 10-23. and 23. Bill O'Brien won four division titles. He was really good at Penn State, and now he's the offensive coordinator of, of one of the best programs in college football. So Bill O'Brien has a reason to be arrogant. He's had success. Joe Judge hasn't. 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to John in a car. What's up, John? You know, Brian, that's kind of my whole point is I don't mind the guy coming back if he can do something good for the team, like work on the special teams, because I don't ever remember this team. I had tickets back in the 80s, and this team didn't have special teams this bad. I mean, nothing went right for them all season. So if Judge can help there, that's fine. But I don't remember Joe Judge being this, stellar offensive mind that had any sort of input at all when McDaniels was here or, or, you know, I could be wrong, but if he had a part in it, it was very small. My, my issue is that they, you know, the, the trend you see here is look at the coaching staff, you know, Belichick's kid, uh, you know, Joe judge, you know, these are all guys that go in the Belichick group think tank. And my biggest issue is there's never anybody in there 
that is, you know, a, a young up and coming Ram that might want to butt heads with them and say you're wrong and this is why. Yeah, John, it's, it's too much. It, it, you know what, John? It's too much group thinking. To your point about that, think about this: Joe Judge comes back here with his tail between his legs. He's going to be happy that Bill gave him the opportunity. You think that guy's going to challenge Bill? Like, that's why I bring up O'Brien's totally different, right? So O'Brien, if he wants to leave Alabama and come to the Patriots, it's like, well, he doesn't need the Patriots job, right? Like, the Patriots need O'Brien more than O'Brien needs the Patriots. So Bill O'Brien would come in here, and he would get assurances from Bill that it's going to be his offense, he's going to run it, and he's going to make certain changes to the offense. With Joe Judge, he's going to come back here and say, I'm going to do whatever Bill wants me to do. And to the to the you know if you parlay that point into you know the team on the field, you could bring the best coordinator from every team to this team, but if you put this group of players with them, you know you you, you can only go as fast as the horse will run. Right. And they don't have Jamar Chase. They don't have a Tyreek Hill as much as I wouldn't want a Tyreek Hill because I just can't root for the guy personally. Yeah, scumbag. You, you know what I'm saying. They don't have, you know, it, it, so to say Jones can't can't succeed, I, I'm not prepared to say that because at the end of the day, this is where the the bad draft year after year after year, now you know what, he had a good draft this year. If you look at it just for this year, he brought three guys into this team that made an impact on the team, and yep. that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at it for what it is and say, it's just like the Bruins. There's no cheap, good talent coming in the door. Everything has to be a big, expensive Band-Aid, and and that's where the two teams – I don't like to cross streams, really, but that's that's where the similarities are, is that you you don't have that – other than the goalie for the Bruins and the quarterback for the the Patriots, you don't have those young guys that have really given that everyday effort that, you know, they need to succeed. Yeah, and John, I appreciate the phone call, and that's that's part of my whole rationale with it in terms of you, Mac right now does not have the players around him, and I can't believe I'm saying this about a Bill Belichick coach team. I'm not so sure he has the infrastructure either based on the fact that you lost Josh McDaniels, and as of now, you're replacing him with Joe Judge. I mean, that's the guy that right now is on top of the offensive food chain, if you will, in the Patriots organization. I don't know how any Patriots fan could feel confident about that. 617-779-7937 is the number. Let's get to Tom in Dorchester. What's up, Tom? Hi, Brian. This is Brian. Sorry as Brady goes, I don't believe he can come back. He's a legend. He announced that he was retiring. I don't think he can reverse it because he's a legend. And what defensive coordinator is going to send an all-out blitz on a Brady team? Or a shoot, when someone's shooting a gap to blow him up. There's no way. He's a legend. He's, he has to retire now. I was hoping he'd come back for one more season, but not announce anything. Just yeah, but Tom how, about, Tom, how about this scenario? All right, let me paint you a scenario. A year from now, Trey Lance sucks for the Niners. He's just really bad, right? The rookie quarterback they drafted, and remember, yeah. they drafted the guy to replace Jimmy. So let's say that's the hypothetical, that Lance plays really poorly, and the Niners still have that loaded team with Debo Samuel and Kittle and Ayuk. Yeah. And they say, hey, Tom, uh, Lance isn't our guy. Do you want to come out of retirement to play for us? Wouldn't that be tough for Tom to pass up, going to a loaded team with a good coach in Kyle Shanahan? Right. He's 45 years old. He's, there's a chance he's going to be hurt. He's a legend already. I know he's a legend, he's Tom. Be, Everybody, he's, he's been a legend for a decade. I'm just saying. Yeah, like, yeah but, I mean, but he didn't announce his retirement. 
Yeah, and, but and Tom, you can't take that back. You can't pull that back. You can't right? take that back. We see it all. Gronk did it. No. We see it all the time in sports. Yeah, but the, the, he's a lot. Michael older Jordan than did it. He, Michael Jordan did it. Yeah. Well, right. I don't think he can, he could do it, Brian. I'm sorry, but uh, that's the way I feel. All right, Tom. Appreciate the phone call. I just paint the scenario. I'm not saying that Trey Lance is definitely going to be a bust. I like some of the things you saw out of Trey Lance coming out of North Dakota State. I'm just saying if the perfect scenario presents itself to Tom in two years, I feel like it's going to be awfully difficult for him to pass it up. And I know Tom says he's a legend. I mean, he's been a legend for like 15 years now. But my whole point of it is when Ben Roethlisberger is watching games next year, he's not going to think that he can play. He sucks. Oh, for example, a local example of this, Julian Edelman. I'm sure mentally Edelman wanted to play last year, but he knew he couldn't. His body betrayed him. He had a bone-on-bone knee situation. He could not play anymore. Dustin Pedroia, I'm sure mentally he wanted to play, but he knew he was done. Okay? Peyton Manning, after the 15 season, they win the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning could barely freaking throw the ball anymore. The guy sucked. He had one of the worst statistical games in the history of the Super Bowl. Somehow his defense still carried him to... A victory, but Peyton Manning knew in 16 when he's watching games, he can't do it anymore. Tom's not going to have that experience. Tom's going to be looking at games next year, watching games on Sunday afternoon and say, yeah, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that guy. I mean, really, there's probably going to be like three quarterbacks in the NFL that will be better than Tom Brady would have been next year. And it's like Pat Mahomes... Maybe Rodgers, who knows? I mean, look, there's a handful of guys that could be. Maybe Herbert takes a step forward. Joe Burrow, we know, is a stud. Josh Allen. But really, Brady can look at himself and say, I'm better than 90% of the quarterbacks in the league. You could argue he was the MVP this year. That's where I think the difference is between Brady and some of these other guys. Even Elway at the end. He goes out winning back-to-back Super Bowls, but he was not the same player in 98. That was based around... The running game with Terrell Davis, that's what that was about. That wasn't about John Elway. Now, he had some critical plays and some clutch plays, but he wasn't the guy that he was in the 80s. Brady's still the same player. He's still that good. Oh, real briefly, I did want to get to this. So one of the things that if you look at, and one of the guys they need to get more involved next year is Bourne. So if you look at Bourne compared to Myers, Bourne was targeted 56 times less than Jacoby Myers. Yet... Kendrick Bourne had just 66 yards less than Myers. And I mentioned Myers, the fact that he's not really good after the catch, and he's not somebody that's going to catch the ball down the field. Just 10.4 yards per reception, which was 88th. And in terms of the the yak yards, yards per reception after the catch, he was at just three. That's 117th out of 127 qualified receivers. You look at Bourne, he was at 7.1 yak per reception last year. That's really good. That's seventh in the NFL. He was at 14.6 yards per reception. That was 21st in the NFL. But his 70 targets were just 79th in the NFL compared to Jacoby Myers, who got 126 targets, which was 22nd in the NFL. Not to mention, when he was targeted, passer rating was 132.1. That was 5th in the NFL. So that's why I look at the offense next year, and I look at the signing that Bill made in the offseason – Bourne was a hit. We can criticize some of the moves, although a lot of them worked out. Judon worked out, although I don't know what the hell happened to that guy at the end of the season. He was in the Pro Bowl. I guess you don't really do much in the Pro Bowl, but I don't know what the hell happened to the guy. If he was injured, he was playing in the Pro Bowl, and if he really did have an injury, he should have been playing in the Pro Bowl. But I don't know how you go from being a defensive player of the year candidate for the first 13 weeks of the season, and then you pull a Houdiniak, you're missing the remainder of the season. That pissed me off, but he was good for the uh, the most 
the biggest portion of the season, I should say. Hunter Henry was good. Johnu Smith, not so much. Okay, I think we can all acknowledge that. Jalen Mills, better than I thought. I felt he had a really good season for somebody that I did not have high expect expectations for whatsoever. But Kendrick Bourne, in terms of getting the most bang for your buck, that's the guy. And based on the advanced numbers and some of the analytics with Bourne, they tell you that you should be targeting him more. There's no way that Jacoby Myers should get 56 more targets from Kendrick Bourne. So whoever is going to be calling plays next year, they need to get the ball to Kendrick Bourne more. All right, 617-779-7937 is a number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. A lot more to get into. So if you do want to weigh in on the Joe Judge situation, you certainly can. If you want to weigh in on the report that it looks like Tuca is stepping away, that's on the table as well. But the head coach of the Celtics, Ime Adoka, tonight talking about the trading deadline. He's got some expectations for Brad. We'll get to it next here on EEI. Your home for Patriots Monday and Friday. Now here's what's trending on WEEI. All right, trending now on WEI and WEI.com. Well, big news for the Bees. The Athletics' Fluto Shinzawa reporting the Tuka Rask comeback not expected to continue. Rask last played on January 24th, allowing five goals on 27 shots. He's been dealing with discomfort related to his surgery. He could finalize his retirement decision in the next few days. The Bees fell to the Penguins on the ice tonight, 4-2. David Pasternak with a pair of goals in the loss. Jeremy Swayman on the hook for three goals. Old friend Danton Heinen scored twice in less than a minute for Pittsburgh. The Bees will host the Hurricanes on Thursday night. The Patriots, we've been talking about it all night. They're bringing back Joe Judge. He will be the offensive assistant. Judge was just fired after going 10-23 as the Giants head coach. The Seas beat the Nets 126-91. That's six straight wins for the Green. Jalen Brown 22-9-7. Marcus Smart also had 22 19 for Jason Tatum on an efficient 7 of 11 from the field. Big test Friday night for the Seas. They'll host the reigning MVP, Nikola Jokic, and the Nuggets. A couple of trades today in the league. The Pelicans picked up C.J. McCollum from the Blazers. The main piece is going back to Portland, Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and a protected first-round pick and two second-round picks as well. The Pacers sent DeMontis, Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and a second-round pick to the Kings for Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. I know some people around here wanted Sabonis, but he's going to Sacramento. That's what's trending now on WEI and WEI.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... 
You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp and refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medela, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We're right back to what you want to hear. More of Brian Barrett on EEI. The way these past few weeks have gone, do you think it changes at all like the focus for you guys from that stuff a little bit? Yeah, I'd say that um, for us, it's really getting a chance to see everybody, which we hadn't had the full complement. And so it's hard to gauge where we were, where we're at or what we really need without seeing everybody until now. And I'm sure it opens some eyes to other people that are already calling about some of these guys and seeing how well they're playing. So I'm sure it works both ways. But um, like I said, we are happy with how we're playing, uh, happy with what the guys are doing and seeing our full group together now. And I'm sure it changes some of the conversation based on what we're doing lately. All right, that was Ime Adoka after the game tonight well, on the trading deadline. And remember, we're not going to hear from Ime Adoka until after the trading deadline now because the Celtics do not play again until Friday night. So it appears anybody that possibly could be traded for the Celtics is healthy right now if they're going to make a move. So what do you want to see the Celtics do as we get closer to the deadline? 617-779-7937 is the number. So I don't believe they're going to make any big splashy moves. And part of that is to get under that luxury tax, which they're really close to right now, about $800,000 away because Jalen Brown didn't make the all-star game, which was like another $1.9 million. So they're really close to getting under the luxury tax. So if you think about it, it's not just, and I know people look at it and say, oh yeah, that's cheap. Well, the Celtics ownership group, it's not one of the wealthiest ownership groups in the NBA, right? This isn't Steven Bo- uh, Steve Ballmer, who's worth $76 billion. They're not Mark Cuban. So you understand also the advantage this does in the offseason. If you get under that luxury tax, you're going to have more money in the offseason. And you get, you're probably going to get around $10 million in terms of the revenue from across the league because the Warriors, the Nets, the 76ers, the Lakers, they all have like unbelievably high luxury tax bills. It's going to be the biggest in the history of the NBA. So there's that. And also you're going to have more money in the offseason to spend. You'll have more exceptions that are at your disposal if you do get under the luxury tax. So I understand the Celtics doing that. And I understand Brad already moving Juancho Hernan Gomez, who sucks anyway. It's not like that guy was a big deal. But I totally understand getting under the luxury tax. But you still can make moves around the periphery, on the margin, so to speak, to help you win down the stretch. And I do believe that Tatum and Brown and even Robert Williams, who's been really good as of late, he's averaging north of three blocks per game over his last eight. And, I mean, if you look at that three-man lineup right now, the Robert Williams... Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown trio. It really has been one of the best in the entire NBA this year. When those guys are together on the court, it's pretty remarkable to see what they're doing. They're outscoring the opponents by 18.2 points per 100 possessions when they're on the court together. Just to put some context on how good that three-man unit's been, and it's been great to see the improvement from Robert Williams over the past year. I give him credit, too, because he's in much better shape because – He used to get super tired. He'd go hard for like three minutes, and it's like you got to take him out of the game. But he's improved in terms of his endurance. But if you look at it in terms of those three guys together, that trio, 18.3 net rating, the Bucs big three of Giannis, Middleton, and Drew Holiday, who, by the way, they're kicking the Lakers' ass right now, they have a plus 13 net rating. 
The best three-man unit for the Suns statistically statistically this year has been Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Mikhail Bridges, plus 10.1. Lowry, Butler, and Bam in Miami, plus 7.2. The best three-man unit for the Bulls is DeRozan, Vucevic, and Levine. They're plus 6.6. The Celtics are at plus 18.3 when you have Jalen Brown, Robert Williams, and Jason Tatum on the court together. So I think because you have that trio who's played really well together, in fact, statistically better than any trio in the NBA, you owe it to Tatum and Brown, most importantly, but also to Robert Williams to a lesser extent, who you just gave a contract extension to in the offseason. You owe it to them to give them some sort of help. I'm not asking for a big move. I'm not asking for a star-level player. Like, I'm not asking for C.J. McCollum, who just went to the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm just asking for something that helps the team. Because the problem is, if you do make all these moves to get under the luxury tax and you don't add somebody that can help now in this run into the postseason, that's when you start to irritate Tatum, you start to irritate Brown, and as I said earlier, to a lesser extent, Robert Williams. So you got to give them something. If it's a shooter, whatever it is, you have got to go get them something. Like, I'd love them to go after Eric Gordon. I just don't see it happening. You're going to have to give up a first-round pick, and he's under contract next year at like $19 million. He's shooting 42% from three. I would love him in a Celtics uniform, and he can get his own shot. He's a sturdy defender. It makes a lot of sense. But the reason I don't see that happening is I feel like Brad's going to want to keep his powder dry in the offseason if he is going to make a bigger move. And by not bringing in a guy like Gordon, who's under contract next season, he's going to have more flexibility. But here are some of the reports that are out there so far. The Athletics' Jared Weiss reporting that over the weekend, Boston offered veteran guard Dennis Schroeder to Milwaukee for Dante DiVincenzo, which the Bucks countered asking for Grant Williams. So I like this by Brad. This is almost like a Danny Ainge type thing. Well, we know we're not keeping Dennis Schroeder long term. So why don't you give me uh, one of your young guys? Uh, why don't you give me Dante DiVincenzo? I like that from Brad, but the asking price for Grant Williams, I mean, that just doesn't make much sense to me. So if you look at Dante DiVincenzo, he's coming off foot surgery. Now, they won a championship last year without him. This year, he's been atrocious. He's playing 20 minutes per game. He's fallen behind Grayson Allen in that rotation. 32% from the field and 28% from three. And I get it. He hasn't played a ton of minutes this season because he's just working his way back from the injury. In fact, when he was supposed to come back, he got covid So it's been an issue. But career, he's not been a great shooter, 34%. Not a big guy, 6'4". He really can't play three. He can play two. He can't really play the one. So I just look at him. He's got an 8.1 player efficiency rating, 15 as an average player. He just has not a good year whatsoever. And how about this number? If you take his on-off number with the Bucs, he's a negative 12.3. So he just has not been a good player. In fact, he's been a negative player for the Bucs this season. And last year he was at plus 3.7, which isn't great on a Bucks team that had, what, the third best net rating in the NBA last season. And throughout his career, he's really struggled in terms of he can't finish. He shoots just 50% in the restricted area. I mean, I get it, he's a guard, but he should be at like 65% at least. That's garbage. He hasn't had a mid-range shot all season long. He shoots just 20% on corner threes, 32.7% on above the break threes. And just 54.3% in the restricted area last year. So he's never been a good finisher. And he's really never been a great shooter. So to me, like, I like Dante DiVincenzo coming out of the collegiate level. But he just hasn't produced at the NBA level. And now you're talking about a guy. So if you do sign him, are you extending him? Because then he's going to be up for a contract extension. 
And I just don't feel like he's a guy that should be part of your core, especially if the price is Grant Williams. And I know, like, last year saying this, it would have sounded crazy. You don't want to give up Grant Williams? Well, I don't want to give up now for Dante DiVincenzo. Grant Williams having a good season. And by the way, he's in his 22-year-old season compared to DiVincenzo who is in his 24-year-old season. He's a bigger player, of course. 6'6", plays most of his possessions at the power forward position. Grant on the season, 48% from the field, 42% from three. 80.4% in the restricted area. DiVincenzo can't finish in the restricted area. Grant's at 80.4. Now, less attempts. I get all that, but you get the point. Not to mention, Grant Williams is a better shooter than Dante DiVincenzo. I gave you the three-point numbers. 42% compared to DiVincenzo at 20%. Grant shooting 51.2% on corner threes. 56.9 in the right corner, by the way. Not to mention, he has been good defensively for this team. Third in contested shots per game in the Celtics at 6.6. The only guys contesting more shots per game this year than Grant Williams, Al Horford and Robert Williams. So if the asking price for Dante DiVincenzo is Grant Williams, that's a hard pass for me. I would not do that. And quite frankly, if I was Brad, I'd be like, uh, no. I'm offering you something for a player that is a lottery ticket, if anything else, because he hasn't shown that he's a great rotation player in the NBA, and right now he's coming off an injury. So if I'm Brad Stevens, Grant Williams is a hard pass. If it's Dennis Schroeder, fine. I'll do that for Dante DiVincenzo, but I'm definitely not doing that for Grant Williams because Dante DiVincenzo, yes, I know that I just ripped him, but he's a young player with at least a little bit of promise when you know Schroeder's not part of the equation. So if it's just Schroeder for a DiVincenzo swap, I'm on board. If it's a DiVincenzo for Grant Williams swap, hell no. Don't even bring that back to me if you're the Milwaukee Bucks. All right. Then another thing that's out there in terms of the Celtics, this is Chris Kirshner from The Athletic. He covers the Hawks. He put it out there. I've actually heard some chatter on a smart Bogdanovich trade. Bogdan Bogdanovich, of course, of Atlanta. Whether or not it actually materializes is a different thing. Smart as some of the Hawks have been interested in for quite some time. It's obvious why, when you look, what's needed on this roster, more defense and more players who can create for themselves and others. He's saying this from the Hawks' perspective. He goes on to say, the Hawks could also use another voice in the locker room who's respected and not afraid to hold anyone accountable. They're kind of missing that right now, with this being mostly a quiet roster. It likely would require a bit more than Charlotte's top 18 protected 2022 Hornets first rounder that Atlanta owns. All right, so if the Celtics are going to make this move to move on from Marcus Smart and bring in Bogdog Bogdanovich, you would be getting, in all likelihood, a first-round pick back, which, as Kirshner mentions in his article, is top 18 protected. Now, this is where I look at Bogdanovich and I say, he's older than you think because he's only been in the league for about four years, but the problem is he played so many years overseas, he came over a little bit later. So he's 29, and he's shooting just 41% from the field and 36% from three. Now, he was at 47% last year from the field and 43% from three. He's been a good shooter throughout his career, not a great shooter. And he's taking six and a half attempts from three a game. Out of his 11 field goal attempts per game, six and a half are from three. So that's 59%. And as I alluded to, he's only hitting 36% of those. So based on his shot uh, shot chart, if you will, he relies on the three-pointer and he's not hitting it this year. Now, he is a career 38% three-point shooter, so it's good, but it's not great. He's got two years after this 
at $18 million and then $19 million, and then 2023 and 2024 as a player option. Smart, of course, next year, his four-year $76 million deal kicks in through his 31-year-old season. That's at $16.6 million, 18.5, 19.9, and $21.3 million. So when I look at that, a Bogdanovich Marcus Smart swap, if you asked me about this about six weeks ago, I would have said, yeah, I'd do it. Makes a lot of sense. But Marcus Smart is starting to get me to buy back into what he's doing, right? Because if you look at it, so if you compare where he were where he was pre-injury compared to where he is now returning from the lineup. So Marcus Smart post-injury, 6.8 shots per game. If you look at pre-injury, his first 38 games of the season, he was at 10.2 shots per game. So you're talking about almost a three and a half point decrease in the amount of shots he's taking per game. And this is over an eight game sample size. He's shooting 53.7% from the field, by the way, since he's gotten back. Prior to that, he was shooting just 39.3% from the field. So right then and there, you're talking about a 14% increase in terms of his field goal percentage. Now, the other thing to look out for is the assists. His assists are up to six a game since coming back from the injury. Prior to that, he was at 5.3 assists. So here's the thing I would ask you. Do you think this is the new and improved Marcus Smart? Because if this is the way that Marcus Smart is going to play, where he's cutting down his shot attempts per game by nearly three and a half, and his assists have gone up nearly at assists per game, so he's taking less less shots, he's passing the ball more, in terms of he's creating 15 points via assists since coming back. He was at about 13 prior to that. So if you calculate all this different type of stuff, is this what we are now buying into with Marcus Smart? Because we have seen examples throughout Marcus Smart's career where he shoots too much, right? I mean, you go back to the famous incident, I guess I should say the infamous incident in the Orlando bubble, where Marcus Smart was upset after a game because Jason Tay, I don't know who exactly did it, but guys approached him in the locker room about shooting too much, about his shot selection, right? I mean, he took more shots in an elimination game than Jason Tatum did, okay? But anyway, just getting back to the original point, remember what happens? He starts throwing around trash barrels in the locker room. Gary Washburn from the Globe reported on the incident. And then after that particular thing, they had to meet into the wee hours of the night. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, at the time, Kemba Walker, and Marcus Smart, and Brad Stevens. And they had to talk out this whole situation, right? Because Marcus Smart was upset that... These guys were calling him out for shooting too much. And if you look at it, that's been an issue for Marcus Smart throughout his career. But I wonder if the time off and the time off that Marcus Smart had, the Celtics were playing well. I mean, if you really look at it, they've been playing well since January 1st. They've been playing really well since January 1st. From a net rating perspective, they're the second best team in the NBA. So that's points per 100 possessions. They're second to only Phoenix since the beginning of the new year. So since 2022, statistically, they've been the second best team in the NBA. They've been the number one defense in the NBA since the new year began, right? So maybe Marcus Smart, in that time that he had off between the 10th and the 23rd, he looked at it and he said, well, these guys are actually playing really well. And he acknowledged the fact that he needs to take a step back and not try to be more of an offensive presence than he needs to be. What he needs to be is a ball mover and a ball distributor and do what he's always done from a defensive perspective. So if this is the new Marcus Smart, I want to at least ride this out till the end of the season. Because remember, Smart starts his extension next offseason. I'm not telling you that I'm 100% against moving Marcus Smart, 
But based on the way this team is playing right now, I don't really want to mess up the rhythm of the team by sending Marcus Smart away when he's playing. Basically, this is the perfect role that Marcus Smart should be playing for the Celtics team, right? Where he's shooting less, he's distributing more, he's doing his thing defensively, he's been a net positive offensively. And if you look at it on the season, in terms of the on-off numbers, the only guy that's better than Marcus Smart has been Jason Tatum. He's been better than Robert Williams. He's been better than Jalen Brown when it comes to the on-off numbers, right, in terms of impact in the game when he's actually on the court. Now, Jalen Brown, obviously, much more of a load that he carries offensively than Marcus Mark, but you get the point. The guy's been a really positive player for the Celtics team, and I'm at the point now where I wanted him traded a couple of weeks ago, but now, based on the way he's come back since coming back from the injury, it feels like this team has really picked up a rhythm in terms of those four main guys together. And when I say the four main guys... Who I mean is Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Robert Williams. Because that four-man group has pretty much been consistent for the majority of the season. And that four-man group, if you look at it, they've only played, entering tonight, 45 minutes together. Or I should say this, the addition of Grant Williams. So this is one of the things I look at, like coming down the stretch of the season, what is the closing lineup for the Celtics should be. Right now, I would put Grant Williams in that group with Tatum Brown, Smart, and Robert Williams. That group together, that five-man unit, 45 minutes played together this season. They have a 40.7 net rating, a 134.4 offensive rating. And they're versatile defensively. They can switch a lot of things. And offensively, because Grant Williams is spacing, because he can shoot threes from the corner now at an incredibly high clip over 50%, and in the right corner specifically over 56%, because he can do that, it spaces out the floor for a guy like Robert Williams diving to the basket and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown that have to beat you off the dribble. And Marcus Smart has been, done a really good job as the ball mover, the ball distributor, if you will. And right now, I just wouldn't mess with that. I would not be trading any major pieces at the trading deadline if I'm Brad Stevens. I can always go back and revisit this in the offseason, right? I mean, if you think about it, I can say, all right, well, if it doesn't work out in the postseason with these main four guys... I know that Marcus Smart is going to have value on the open market. So if you are going to move Marcus Smart, it seems like it would be more beneficial to wait till the offseason to make a move like that. Because one of the things that we've seen with this team is the difference that Robert Williams has made. We know what he does defensively, but his emergence offensively has been a big thing for this team. So Tatum and Robert Williams. Now, Tatum has said... On multiple occasions, he loves playing with Rob. He just loves playing with Rob. Well, there's a reason for that. The Celtics have a 112.8 offensive rating when Robert Williams and Jason Tatum are on the court together. That's the best of any Celtics duo. And part of it is Williams is so athletic and he puts so much pressure on the rim. He does so many different things for you offensively that it brings up the level of the rest of the team. So, for example, he's shooting this year 80.4% on cuts. And he cuts more than anybody else in the NBA in terms of his frequency. 36% of his possessions are on cuts because he can get to the basket so quick when he cuts. And you can see Jason Tatum can find him. Jalen Brown can find him. Marcus Smart can find him, right? And then you look at him as the pick and roll roll man. And this is something that Tatum and Brown and Smart have never really had here as Celtics is that guy. Now, Horford, good pick and roll player, but more of a pick and pop guy. Daniel Tice, decent pick-and-roll player, more of a roll guy than Al Horford, but more of a pick-and-pop guy. What Grant Williams does, or excuse me, what Robert Williams does, getting my Williams is confused, is he puts pressure on the rim. 
So what that does is that opens up the entire floor. Not only does it open things up for Jason Tatum because, okay, if you're going to send two at Jason Tatum, well, he has an outlet right away, right? He can throw the lob up to Robert Williams. See, like with Al Horford, when you're running a two-man game with Horford, Horford, you only have one option. It's you got to throw it backwards to Al, and then Al can move the ball around. Nothing against Al, but he doesn't have that level of athleticism that Robert Williams does is he can dive right to the basket. So you have to have somebody that stays with Robert Williams because if you don't, you have Jason Tatum because of that vertical spacing, because Robert Williams is basically going to outjump anybody in the gym. He can just throw it up there. Okay, the other thing is, if you play that honestly and you're able to recover on Tatum if he's trying to drive by you and you're able to recover on Robert Williams, well, you're probably going to need to bring somebody over from the weak side, which means Tatum now, as in his vision, Grant Williams open for a three or Jalen Brown open for a three. So it opens everything up for you offensively. And the other thing about Robert Williams is this. The motor is much better than it's been in previous seasons. So what he's doing is he's extending plays for you, right? He's getting you extra possessions. Really, it feels like maybe more so than anybody else in the NBA lately. But if you look at it on the season, he's grabbing 3.8 offensive rebounds per game. That's tied for fourth in the league. So he puts pressure on the rim. He... Gets you extra possessions. He's a really good defender right now. So that's been really one of the biggest differences. Now, the other big difference for the Celtics in terms of the offense has been Jason Tatum in terms of his playmaking. And I attribute some of that to Robert Williams. And what I mean by that is simple. So Jason Tatum, for the first chunk of the season, his assist rate was at about 17.9%. Not great. His past nine games, it's at been... 27.8%. So you're talking about a 10% increase in terms of his assist rate, which means the amount of baskets he assists on when he's on the court. Now, the other thing about Tatum is this. He, we already know he's a world-class rebounder. We already know he can get a shot whenever he wants. We already know he's an unbelievable scorer. We know he's a really good defender. This is kind of like the last thing that he has to jump over. And I feel like it's the most underrated part of how the Celtics are playing right now is Jason Tatum, the playmaker makes this team totally different. And if you compare him to say Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, well, Kawhi Leonard, it took him till year nine in his career to average four assists per game and have an assist rate over 20%. It took Kevin Durant until year six. Jason Tatum's ahead of schedule. He did that in year four. And now we're seeing the playmaking and the passing become a little bit easier for Tatum because of the presence of Robert Williams on the floor. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. One more thought on the Celtics I want to get into in just a second here. And Tuka Rass looks like he's done. I'll react to that next year on EI. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Right back to it. This is Brian Barrett on EEI. All right, we're with you until midnight. Just real quick on Tuca. Of course, the news came out tonight. Fluto Shinzawa, Fluto Shinzawa, I should say, reported that Tuca's comeback not expected to continue. Last time he played was January 24th. Remember, he allowed five goals against the Ducks on 27 shots. Came back from the hip surgery, the torn labrum. Has clearly not been the same guy. He's given up five goals 
in two of his games. And Shinzawa further reports that he could finalize his retirement decision in the next few days. So as it pertains to Tuca, I'm not surprised it ended this way considering how it started. And I know they couldn't properly get up a tune-up because there was a COVID situation in the AHL at that time, but he just has not looked like the same guy. And apparently one of the things that Shinzawa points out in his story is he hasn't been able to recover the way that he used to be able to recover. So I would say this, like, it was a messy situation for a couple of weeks here because you had a guy in Swayman that right now clearly is a better goalie than Tuca. But with the bigger picture thing with Tuca, it just feels like, He's going to be remembered as, and deservingly so, as the guy that was really good during the regular season. He won the Vesna in 2014. And, I mean, if you look at his career numbers, I mean, he's way up there. Third all-time in save percentage at 921. But how Tuca is going to be remembered is big moments he didn't come up big. The Blackhawks, you're up 2-1 in game six. You then give up the goal to Brian Bickle with less than 90 seconds left. Beats him five-hole. And then after that, 17 seconds later, Dave Bolin hits that goal where Tuka's like flailing around. So he gave up two critical goals in game six. Now, look, maybe you go back to Chicago and you lose that game seven to the Blackhawks, who were at that point, they were the best team of the NHL. But you had them on the ropes going back for game seven and Tuka didn't come through. And then you look at that series against the Blues. It just felt like he never came through. Right. So the perfection line we all know was not good in that series. And the Blues really out Bruins, the Bruins. They took it to the Bruins from a physical perspective. They really beat them up and. Even like game five, Chara comes back and the crowd's going nuts. He comes back from the broken jaw and they lose that game somehow, which was like just shocking. I can I still can't believe they lost game five. But then, of course, you look at it in terms of, well, Jordan Bennington stole game seven. They peppered him in the first period. Bennington finished that game with 32 saves. Game seven, Tuka's on the hook for four goals. So I just look at that. And by the way, the Bruins outshot the Blues 33 to 20. In that game seven. And Tuca needed to steal you one game in that blue series. He couldn't do it. Your guys were struggling with the Ryan O'Reilly's of the world. I mean, that blues team was mean. They were taking guys out left and right. I mean, we all remember that series. But Tuca needed to steal you one game. And he couldn't steal you the game seven. He couldn't finish that game out against the Blackhawks. And then, of course, family issues. He needs to leave the bubble. And that really felt like, okay. I was shocked the Bruins followed up the... Stanley Cup lost the way they did. It felt like, I mean, that was just an excruciating loss. It felt like, holy crap, they're the best team in the NHL. And then you have, of course, the whole COVID situation. They go to the bubble. They don't look like the same team. And then Tuka leaves the bubble. And then Yaroslav Halak was just not meant to be a number one goaltender, as we would all realize in very short order in that Lightning series where the Bruins are basically non-competitive. Who knows, if that season, if we never have the COVID 19 pandemic. Maybe they win the cup that year. I mean, they were that damn good. They were the best team of the NHL for the majority of the season. But this is how Tuca's got to be remembered. Missed opportunities. And unfortunately, when you look at this Bruins, that core, if you will, it felt like, unlike the Patriots with Brady and Belichick, where they get the six Super Bowls, this is similar to like the Pierce Garnett led Celtics, except over a longer period of time. It felt like that group of Celtics needed another title. They didn't get it. They had a couple of chances. Of course, 2010, they lose in Game 7, and then 13, they have the 3-2 lead against the Heat. The Heat come back. Well, with this Bruins team, they get the one cup, but then, okay, you lose to the Blackhawks. Game 6 was a joke because of Tuca, but nonetheless, you lose to a team that maybe you weren't as good as, but you have another chance against the Blues. You can't finish the job there either. 
So it does feel like that group of players left meat on the bone, so to speak, in terms of what they accomplished as a team. Because even the Kings won two. The Blackhawks won three. You look at the Penguins with Sidney Crosby, they won three. And the Lightning have now won two. So it did feel like the Bruins missed out on another cup. Uh, By the way, just real briefly before we leave, the trades in the NBA today, I feel like both sellers really did a lot better than the buyers. I don't understand what Sacramento is doing. They gave up Tyrese Halliburton for Sabonis. Those were the main pieces in the deal. I don't understand how you do that. You just drafted Halliburton in the first round two years ago. The guy's a stud. He's averaging 14-7, and shooting north of 40% from three. The guy's a really good player. Where are you going with Sabonis? Congratulations, you're in the play-in tournament. I don't know what the hell Sabonis does for you. I would have been much more inclined to move Fox, not for Sabonis. I'm just saying, moving on from Fox rather than Halliburton, that's the deal I would have made if I was going to move on from one of my young guys. Not for Sabonis. I don't know what the hell that guy gets. He can't play any defense. And then the C.J. McCollum move. I, I, I don't know what the hell New Orleans is thinking. Actually, I do. It's David Griffin, who's the general manager, the president of that team. I don't know. His official title he used to run the Cavs. Trying to save his job. You're not going anywhere with C.J. McCollum. Whenever the hell Zion gets back, and Brandon Ingram. You gave up a good 3-and-D guy in Josh Hart and a bunch of draft picks. Like, the Blazers actually made out well in this particular deal, and I just don't see what your ceiling is in the Western Conference by adding C.J. McCollum to that team. By the way, how the hell are they going to defend? C.J., Ingram, Zion, uh, Jonas Valanciunas, they have no defense. I mean, both sellers did well. The buyers, horrible. All right, thanks to Justin for producing. We'll be back with you tomorrow night. Have a great night, everybody. Be safe, safe and be well. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.